What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in Sultry, Savannah, this is Obscure Season 3, Wuthering Heights. I am your friend, your host, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer-in-chief and Georgianologist, Michael Ian Black, rubbing my greedy little Jewish hands together. Well, first of all, I've been inundated on Twitter with anti-Semitic messages. Uh, over the last X number of days, several days now, because I uh, referenced and made a joke about the Great Replacement Theory regarding these shooters. I said, uh, essentially, if white people, white dudes keep shooting shit up, maybe they should be replaced. And that unleashed a torrent of anti-Semitic abuse on my timeline. So I've been having fun with that, but rubbing my greedy little Jewish hands together because we just met with a management company to manage our short-term rental downstairs, the hovel, as it has been somewhat affectionately called since we moved into the haunted mansion here. Um, But the renovations are now nearly completed, and we will soon be letting it for short-term rentals. If you have any need to come to Savannah, you can stay in my hovel, although it is no longer a hovel. It's quite nice now and uh, very charming and light-filled. But, you know, it's fun to see the progress and talk to the management people. And maybe I'll end up with some income this year, which would be terrific. A little income now and again never hurt anybody. Of course, my annoying dogs will probably ruin that entire enterprise because they never shut up. They never shut up. They're just the worst animals. Jack-Jack was a shithead. Squash, even more so. And Oli, my big dog, remains the same level of shithead as he has been since Obscure Season 1, which is a not 
inconsiderable amount of shithead. Uh, as I said, my paperback edition of my book, A Better Man, is out. I'm doing an event here tonight in Savannah at a brewery, brewery, brewery to talk about it. I can't imagine anybody will be there. Why would anybody be there? But I'll be there. Uh, I think my daughter's going to join me, and we'll be sitting around the brewery wondering why nobody wants to hear about my ever-so-cool contemporary take on masculinity. It promises to be a disappointing evening. But if you're interested, if you're ever in Savannah, the Service Brewery is a terrific spot called Service because the fellow who started it is a uh, uh, former military, still a young guy, and he you know, got his military buddies to invest. So they call it Service because uh, they were all in the service and a portion of all of their proceeds i think a not in, in in i think a not insignificant amount of their proceeds go towards helping wounded service people so it's a good place happy to be going there happy to be hanging out there and hopefully there will be more than myself and my daughter in attendance although i have no expectations of that uh, some more good news on my front i'm going to going to dublin I'm going to Dublin in a couple months. I uh, just got a call. Hey, you want to go to Dublin to uh, be on a little TV show? And I was like, Yeah, I want to go to I want to go to Dublin. Well, I'll tell you what the TV show is. I mean, I'm literally working one day, which is perfect because you know I don't like to I don't like to do too much. But they're they got named that tune. They're rebooting. Jane Krakowski is hosting, and uh, I guess they have celebrity contestants. And then the celebrities all said no. So they said, hey, Michael, what about you? Do you want to come over to Dublin? I don't know why they're shooting it in Dublin, but they are. So me and the missus, we're going to take a, a little skip across the pond for a few days. Have some Irish merriment. My wife is of Irish descent, but she's never set foot on the Emerald Isle. So this will be a treat for her. I have been to Dublin before. Went for the Vodafone Comedy Festival uh, with my son several years ago. We had a nice time. And so I will be making my triumphant return. However, I'm already stressed out because I know that I have no knowledge of popular music over the last 20 years. Like, I, I like almost none. I, I think I'm going to be a terrible, terrible contestant on Name That Tune. I'm already embarrassed for me, and I'm trying to figure out, is there a course of study? Is there a way that I could quickly cram the last 20 years of popular culture into my brain before I make a fool of myself in Ireland? I don't know. So that's that's a mild concern that I have. I don't want to look like a complete idiot, but I suspect I will. Well, back across... On this side of the pond, of course, the American novel Wuthering Heights is picking up some speed. Uh, we've got a, a little, you know, situation there at Thrush Cross, Thrush Cross Grange with Heathcliff and Isabella having a little crush on him and Catherine being just cruel to young Isabella and Heathcliff doing the same, both of them just looking down their noses at that 18-year-old little sparrow pecking away at Heathcliff's elbow. And they've humiliated her and gotten her out of the room. And Mrs. Dean is saying, oh boy, this is, this is just not good. 
because Heathcliff is here and he's causing all kinds of trouble. His visits were a continual nightmare to me, she says. And uh, the last chapter ended by her saying, I felt that God had forsaken the stray sheep there to its own wicked wanderings, and an evil beast prowled between it and the fold, waiting his time to spring and destroy. And that evil beast, according to Mrs. Dean, is Heathcliff. So that catches us up. Let us begin now. Chapter 11, Wuthering Heights. Sometimes, again, Mrs. Dean narrating, because she narrates the whole book, apparently, which I wasn't prepared for when I invented this voice, but now I'm stuck with it. Sometimes, while meditating on these things in solitude, I've got up in a sudden terror and put on my bonnet to go and see how all was at the farm. I persuaded my conscience that it was a duty to warn him how people talked regarding his ways. And then I've recollected his confirmed bad habits, and, hopeless of benefiting him, have flinched from re-entering the dismal house, doubting if I could bear to be taken at my word. So I assume she's talking about uh, Hindley here, and, uh, is that what she's talking about? I don't know. One time, I passed the old gate, going out of my way on a journey to Gimmerton. It was about the period that my narrative has reached. A bright, frosty afternoon, the ground bare, and the road hard and dry. I came to a stone where the highway branches off onto the moor at your left hand, a rough sand pillar with the letters W.H. cut on its north side, Wuthering Heights, friends. I mean, you know, when you're looking for for literary analysis, uh, I'm your go-to. So when I see W.H. carved on a rough sand pillar in the book Wuthering Heights, I know that it stands for Wuthering Heights. Caught on its north side, on the east, G, and that, friends, stands for Gimmerton, and on the southwest, T.G., and that, of course, stands for, uh, I was trying to think of a joke with T.G. and nothing came to mind. Too good. Too ch- t- 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 train uh, garage. It serves as guidepost to the Grange and Heights and Village. The sun shone yellow on its gray head, reminding me of summer. And I cannot say why, but all at once, a gush of child sensations flowed into my heart. Hindley and I held it a favorite spot twenty years before. Oh, when he was just a lad, you know, and she was just starting her career in service. I gazed long at the weather-worn block, and stooping down, perceived a hole near the bottom, still full of snail shells and pebbles, which we were very fond of storing there with more perishable things. And as fresh as reality, it appeared that I beheld my early playmate seated on the withered turf, his dark square head bent forward, and his little hand scooping out the earth with a piece of slate. Poor Hindley, I exclaimed involuntarily. Poor Hindley. Fuck Hindley. He's a monster. They're all monsters. More monsters in this book than Frankenstein by about five. I mean, this is... You want monsters? Read Wuthering Heights. My God. They're all horrendous people. Poor Hindley, I exclaimed involuntarily. I started, 
My bodily eye was cheated into a momentary belief that the child lifted its face and stared straight into mine. It vanished in a twinkling, but immediately I felt an irresistible yearning to be at the heights. Superstition urged me to comply with this impulse. Supposing he should be dead, I thought, or should die soon. Supposing it were a sign of death. The nearer I got to the house, the more agitated I grew. And on catching sight of it, I trembled every limb. The apparition had outstripped me. It stood looking through the gate. That was my first idea on observing an elf-locked, brown-eyed boy setting his ruddy countenance against the bars. Further reflection suggested this must be Hareton, my Hareton, not altered greatly since I left him ten months since. So there's the there's Hinley's boy, now ten months older, looking out the spitting image of his father, I suppose. No doubt living in some misery there on Wuthering Heights. I mean, how could you not live in misery at that cursed home? It is a terrible place filled with terrible people. Anybody who lives there is bound to be terrible themselves. And we know that to be true because when Lockwood shows up all those years later, there's Hareton just being a prick. You know, just acting like a, just like a scruffy little emo prick. And, uh, you know, what are you going to do? The moors there are cursed. Cursed moors. God bless thee, darling, I cried, forgetting instantaneously my foolish fears. Hareton, it's Nelly. Nelly, thy nurse. He retreated out of arm's length and picked up a large flint. <laughs> I'm come to see thy father, Hareton, I added, guessing from the action that Nelly, if she lived in his memory at all, was not recognized as one with me. He raised his missile to hurl it. I commenced a soothing speech, but could not stay his hand. The stone struck my bonnet, and then ensued from the stammering lips of the little fellow a string of curses, which, whether he comprehended them or not, were delivered with practiced emphasis, and distorted his baby features into a shocking expression of malignity. So, yeah, I mean, that's to be expected. You, 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 with, uh, with Hindley as your pa, you're going to grow up hearing just the foulest language when he stumbles home drunk and curses your very existence, when he thrashes you about the head and face, when he dangles you by the foot over the balustrade. You are likely to grow up cursing and cussing yourself with such malevolence in your heart that it is scarce to be believed and then comes this strange woman bounding up demanding to see your father and though you may hate him to the very pit of your soul you pick up a, a flint and hurl it at the head of this strange woman and then you curse her out well to be expected i imagine just this is just the story of abuse is it not generational trauma is it not? Now, maybe it was common in America back then. I don't know. Maybe this is just the way it was. In the wild frontiers of our young country, I couldn't tell you. You may be certain this grieved more than angered me. Fit to cry, I took an orange from my pocket and offered it to propitiate him. I guess that probably means to calm him the fuck down. He hesitated, 
and then snatched it from my hold, as if he fancied I only intended to tempt and disappoint him. I showed another, keeping it out of his reach. Who has taught you these fine words, my bairn? I inquired. The curate. Damn the curate and thee. Give me that, he replied. Tell us where you got your lessons and you shall have it, said I. Who's your master? Devil Daddy, was his answer. And what do you learn from Daddy? I continued. He jumped at the fruit. I raised it higher. What does he teach you? I asked. Not, said he, but to keep out of his gate. Daddy cannot bide me because I swear at him. Ah, and the devil teaches you to swear at Daddy, I observed. Aye, nay, he drawled. Who then? Heathcliff, Heathcliff. I asked if he liked Mr. Heathcliff. Aye, he answered again. Desiring to have his reasons for liking him, I could only gather the sentences. I know he pays Dad back what he gives to me. He curses Daddy for cursing me. He says I mun do as I will. And the curate does not teach you to read and write, then, I pursued. No, I was told the curate should have his... And then there's a, there's a long hyphenate here, uh, just a long dash, and I imagine that that is a curse word, and we're going to replace it with the word that, uh, that I imagine would be uh, in contemporary language. So, no, I was told the curate should have his fucking teeth dashed down his fucking throat. <laughs> he stepped over the threshold. Heathcliff had promised that. I put the orange in his hand and bade him tell his father that a woman called Nellie Dean was waiting to speak with him by the garden gate. Well, I mean, if I, if I was Nellie right then and there, I'd probably turn and walk away. I mean, whatever is happening there at Wuthering Heights, it's just no good. You know, it's just poison from dawn to dusk and probably overnight as well. Poison dripping down the gutters through the vents and into the open mouths of the sleeping men who take their tea at Wuthering Heights. I mean, it's just, just a foul, foul place, haunted by evil. Evil! Well, let's, uh, let's collect our wits about us. Shall we not take a little break and return in a moment on Obscure... Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Back on Obscure, Nelly Dean has approached Wuthering Heights to talk to the master of the house. His son has cursed her out and thrown stones at her head and still... She does not grow angry. Instead, she only grieves and asked if she can talk to Hindley. So she bade Herton to go fetch his pa. He went up the walk and entered the house. But instead of Hindley, Heathcliff appeared on the doorstones. And I turned directly and ran down the road as hard as ever I could race, making no halt till I gained a guidepost and feeling as scared as if I had raised a goblin. This is not much connected with Miss Isabella's affair, except that it urged me to resolve further on mounting vigilant guard and doing my utmost to check the spread of such bad influence at the Grange, even though I should wake a domestic storm by thwarting Mrs. Linton's pleasure. So, she, you know, she's taking it on herself. She's going to keep the influence, the malevolent influence of Heathcliff from corrupting her own home, even, the, you know, even though it's going to piss off Catherine. But what can she do? There's a goblin afoot by the name of Heathcliff, and he's making his evil plans and doing his evil deeds and corrupting everybody who comes across his path. Well, not on Miss Nellie Dean's watch, I can tell you that. Not on my watch, says I. The next time Heathcliff came, my young lady chanced to be feeding some pigeons in the court. She had never spoken a word to her sister-in-law for three days, but she had likewise dropped her fretful complaining, and we found it a great comfort. Heathcliff, had not the habit of bestowing a single unnecessary civility on Miss Linton I knew. Now, as soon as he beheld her, his first precaution was to take a sweeping survey of the house front. I was standing by the kitchen window, but I drew out of sight. He then stepped across the pavement to her and said something. She seemed embarrassed and desirous of getting away. To prevent it, he laid his hand on her arm. Oh, he's conniving that Heathcliff. He's conniving, you know. He's saying something to Isabella. He's trying to get under her skin. He's, he's going to ruin that gal. She averted her face. He apparently put some question which she had no mind to answer. There was another rapid glance at the house, and supposing himself unseen, the scoundrel had the impudence to embrace her. Judas, traitor, I ejaculated. You are a hypocrite too, are you? A deliberate deceiver. "'Who is Nellie?' said Catherine's voice at my elbow. "'I had been over-intent on watching the pair outside to mark her entrance. "'Your worthless friend,' I answered warmly. "'Warmly, I'm, I'm taking to mean heatedly, as opposed to with friendship. "'Your worthless friend,' I answered warmly. "'The sneaking rascal yonder. "'Ah, he has caught a glimpse of, a glimpse of us. "'He's coming in. 
I wonder, will he have the art to find a plausible excuse for making love to Miss when he told you he hated her? Mrs. Linton saw Isabella tear herself free and run into the garden. And a minute after, Heathcliff opened the door. I couldn't withhold giving some loose to my indignation, but Catherine angrily insisted on silence and threatened to order me out of the kitchen if I dared to be so presumptuous as to put in my insolent tongue. To hear you people might think you were the mistress, she cried. You want setting down in your right place? Heathcliff, what are you about raising this stir? I said you must let Isabella alone. I beg you will, unless you are tired of being received here and wish Linton to draw the bolts against you. God forbid that he should try, answered the black villain. I detested him just then. God keep him meek and patient. Every day I grow madder after sending him to heaven. Hush, said Catherine, shutting the inner door. Don't vex me. Why have you dis disregarded my request? Did she come across you on purpose? What is it to you? He growled. I have a right to kiss her if she chooses, and you have no right to object. I'm not your husband. You needn't be jealous of me. I'm not jealous of you, replied the mistress. I'm jealous for you. Clear your face. You shan't scowl at me. If you like Isabella, you shall marry her. But do you like her? Tell the truth, Heathcliff. There, you won't answer. I'm certain you don't. And would Mrs. Mr. Linton approve of his sister marrying that man, I inquired. Mr. Linton should approve, returned my lady decisively. He might spare himself the trouble, said Heathcliff. I could do as well without his approbation. And as to you, Catherine, I have a mind to speak a few words now while we are at it. I want you to be aware that I know you have treated me infernally. Infernally, do you hear? And if you flatter yourself that I don't perceive it, you are a fool. And if you think I can be consoled by sweet words, you are an idiot. And if you fancy I'd suffer unrevenged, I'll convince you of the contrary in a very little while. Meantime, thank you for telling me your sister-in-law's secret. I swear I'll make the most of it and stand you aside. Oh, he's just being a dick. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Dick, 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 dick. I mean, what is he doing? What is he planning? Why is he there? Why is he hoping to destroy this entire family? Is it because they treated him so badly when he was coming up in the world? No doubt. No doubt. The original Mr. Earnshaw scooped him up off the streets and brought him to Wuthering Heights and basically destroyed his life. I mean, he was cursed either way. Either, either he was going to die there out on the streets of hypothermia or some damn thing or get shanghai to serve on the British Navy or the American Navy, I suppose, or who knows what was going to happen to young poor Heathcliff. But having been brought into this life of luxury uh, has probably cursed him five Fold. I mean, it's just, just terrible. I wonder, what was Emily Bronte's intention when sitting down to write Wuthering Heights? I mean, I wonder what the original germ of the idea for the book was. What was she hoping to meditate upon? Some ex exploration of the darkest recesses of the human heart? No, I don't mean... I mean, Frankenstein sort of did something similar, but in a much gaudier way, you know, with, with strangulation and monsters and uh, 
science fiction and, you know, all this horror. But the gloom in the hearts of the Earnshaws and the Lintons and the Heathcliffs here at, in Wuthering Heights seems to eclipse that of Mary Shelley. Because now we're dealing with uh, emotional turmoil. And, and look, obviously, Frankenstein had a, and, and the creature both had emotional turmoil. But, but there, there, there's something more psychological at play here, I think, in terms of her, well, like, uh, uh, whatever incited the telling of this tale. I, I, I don't know what it was, what inspired him. What miseries inspired this tale? Hard to know. I mean, look, I could look it up, but that would that would run contrary to everything I hold dear about this podcast. Right? I'm supposed to go into it knowing nothing, draw my own conclusions. Oh, that's what I'm doing. Uh, so he's just said, you know, you treated me like shit. Don't you think I know it? Don't you think I know you treated me like shit? Of course I know. What new phase of his character is this, exclaimed Mrs. Linton in amazement. I've treated you infernally, and you'll take revenge? How will you take it, ungrateful brute? How have I treated you infernally? I seek no revenge on you, replied Heathcliff less vehemently. That's not the plan. The tyrant grinds down his slaves, and they don't turn against him. They crush those beneath them. You are welcome to torture me to death for your amusement. Only allow me to amuse myself a little in the same style, and refrain from insult as much as you are able. Having leveled my palace, don't erect a hovel and complacently admire your own charity in giving me that for a home. Ooh, a hovel. I mean, that, uh, I mean I, we have our own hovel downstairs, and now here's another hovel that uh, Catherine has erected for Heathcliff, however metaphorically... And complacently admire your own charity in giving me that for a home. If I imagined you really wished me to marry Isabella, I'd cut my throat. Oh, the evil is that I am not jealous, is it? cried Catherine. Well, I won't repeat my offer of a wife. It is as bad as offering Satan a lost soul. Your bliss lies, like his, in inflicting misery. You prove it. Edgar is restored from the ill temper he gave way to at your coming. I begin to be secure and tranquil, and you, restless to know us at peace, appear resolved on exciting a quarrel. Quarrel with Edgar, if you please, Heathcliff, and deceive his sister. You'll hit on exactly the most efficient method of revenging yourself on me. The conversation ceased. Mrs. Linton sat down by the fire, flushed and gloomy. The spirit which served her was growing intractable. She could neither lay nor control it. He stood on the hearth with folded arms, brooding on his evil thoughts. And in this position I left them to seek the master, who was wondering what kept Catherine below so long. Ellen, said he when I entered, have you seen your mistress? Yes, she's in the kitchen, sir, I answered. She's sadly put out by Mr. Heathcliff's behavior. And indeed, I do think it's time to arrange his visits on another footing. There's harm in being too soft, and now it's come to this. And I related the scene in the court, and as near as I dared the whole subsequent dispute. I fancied it could not be very prejudicial to Mrs. Linton, unless she made it so afterwards by assuming the defensive for her guest. 
Edgar Linton had difficulty in hearing me to the close. His first words revealed that he did not clear his wife of blame. Oh, this is insufferable, he exclaimed. It is disgraceful that she should own him for a friend and force his company on me. Call me two men out of the hall, Ellen. Catherine shall linger no longer to argue with the low ruffian I have humored her enough. He descended, and bidding the servants wait in the passage, went, followed by me, to the kitchen. Its occupants had recommenced their angry discussion. Mrs. Linton, at least, was scolding with renewed vigor. Heathcliff had moved to the window and hung his head, somewhat cowed by her violent rating, apparently. He saw the master first, and made a hasty motion that she should be silent, which she obeyed abruptly, on discovering the reason of his intimation. "'How is this?' said Linton, addressing her. "'What notion of propriety must you have to remain here, after the language which has been held to you by that blackguard? I suppose, because it is his ordinary talk, you think nothing of it. You are habituated to his baseness, and perhaps imagine I can get used to it, too.' "'Have you been listening at the door, Edgar?' asked the mistress, in a tone particularly calculated to provoke her husband, implying both carelessness and contempt of his irritation. Heathcliff, who had raised his eyes at the former speech, gave a sneering laugh at the latter. On purpose it seemed to draw Mr. Lenton's attention to him. He succeeded, but Edgar did not mean to entertain him with any high flights of passion.' I have been so far forbearing with you, sir, he said quietly, not that I was ignorant of your miserable degraded character, but I felt you were only partly responsible for that, and Catherine wishing to keep up your acquaintance I acquiesced, foolishly. Your presence is a moral poison that would contaminate the most virtuous. For that cause, and to prevent worse consequences, I shall deny you hereafter admission into this house and give notice now, that I require your instant departure. Three minutes' delay will render it involuntary and ignominious. Heathcliff measured the height and breadth of the speaker with an eye full of derision. Cathy, this lamb of yours threatens like a bull, he said. It is in danger of splitting its skull against my knuckles. By God, Mr. Linton, I'm mortally sorry that you are not worth knocking down. My master glanced towards the passage and signed me to fetch the men. He had no intention of hazarding a personal encounter. I obeyed the hint, but Mrs. Linton, suspecting something, followed. And when I attempted to call them, she pulled me back, slammed the door to, and locked it. Oh my God. <sighs> Fair means, she said in answer to her husband's look of angry surprise. If you have not the courage to attack him, make an apology or allow yourself to be beaten. It will correct you of feigning more valor than you possess. No, I'll swallow the key before you shall get it. I'm delightfully rewarded for my kindness to each. After constant indulgence of one's weak nature and the other's bad one, I earn for thanks two samples of blind ingratitude, stupid to absurdity. Edgar, I was defending you and yours and I wish Heathcliff may flog you sick for daring to think an evil thought of me. Well, we'll stop there. I mean, my goodness. Yeah, throw Heathcliff out by his ear. 
have the constable come and escort him to the county line. This guy is trouble. Ever since he showed his face, you know, back here at the Heights, at the Grange, he's done nothing but poison the well. We were all better off when he had disappeared. Now, look, did we feel bad for young Heathcliff? Sure we did. Abused, scorned, scolded, put to work. Yeah, we felt bad for him. But, kid, grow up. There's no revenging to be done. Live your life. No reason to come here and destroy everything. Because that's, that's all you want to do. And Catherine, what are you doing even entertaining this rascal? He should be out of your head. Exorcised from your soul. But that is the problem, isn't it? Remember when she said he is more me than me? Because the black-hearted Heathcliff is also the black-hearted Catherine. They are birds of a feather. Those two. They deserve each other. The miserable specimens. He's the only thing she's ever loved. Because ultimately what she's doing is loving herself through him. Pure narcissism. That's all it is. She sees her reflection in his puddled eyes. God knows what he sees. It is entirely possible that his affections for her are are feigned. That he thinks as little of her as he does of Isabella, although I suspect that is not actually the case. Well, I don't know. It's just trouble. Just trouble everywhere this fucker goes, you know? And uh, what can we do, you know? We're in it now. We're in the thick of it. We are in the gloaming of the moors with Heathcliff and Catherine and Linton and Nellie and Poor cursing Hareton, you know, that little tyke talking a blue streak every time he opens his mouth. Everybody's just uh, Henley up there drinking himself to death. Edgar doing his best to keep the peace there at Thrushcross Grange. Oh, it's just a mess. Just a terrible, terrible mess. Well, enjoyable though. You know, that's the thing. It's an enjoyable mess. I like seeing these people suffer. I wish no... I, uh, I wish no good for any of them. I, you know, I'd be I'd be happy with a massacre, but I don't think we'll get it. Uh, anyway, let's let's wrap it up. I will uh, set the book down. I will go count my shekels, as the anti-Semites would have me do, and uh, probably take myself a nap because that's really what I. Where my, where my intentions are at the moment so uh, we'll end it there we'll return next time for another lascivious episode of Obscure but until then I wish you adieu This season of Obscure is produced by me, Michael Ian Black, and Robin Lynn. Our theme music is by Craig Wedgerin. If you listen and like the show, please help us out with a rating and a review. We want to be obscure, but not that obscure. It's an easy way to support the show. Thanks. Thanks.